Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes podcast, where we dive deep into the tools, laws, and yes, processes that you need to know in order to scale and grow your organization. We help organizations all across the United States streamline, optimize, implement, and revolutionize their HR operations. We've helped hundreds of companies and thousands of HR leaders across the world get their people processes right. Today, we are interviewing James Sinclair. James is the CEO and co-founder of Enterprise Alumni. It is the market-leading alumni and retiree engagement platform. We're going to talk about why that's important. We're going to learn from uh, James about his journey and his insights, and I can't wait to dive in. He has a background in large enterprise innovation. He's worked for companies like IBM, SAP, and EDS. Outside of his day job, he contributes to media on the future of work, large enterprise innovation, and entrepreneurship. Before we bring him on, though, I want to ask you, please subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any podcatcher of your choice. If you're already on mobile, go to peopleprocesses.com and subscribe on there. We'll be able to email you when we have a new episode, but more importantly, you get access to our subscriber-only content, including a summary of this interview and some of the key takeaway points. James, thank you so much for coming on, sir. Welcome. Thanks, Rami. I appreciate you having me. Well, I'm excited. We had an interview a couple of months ago, and the name eludes me at the moment, but gosh, she uh, brought to focus that people aren't going to work for you forever. If you hire somebody at 22, this isn't the the 1950s anymore. People come, people may go, um, and that you shouldn't lie to yourself about that. And that was kind of the end of the conversation that you need to think about the fact that you're gonna, you can't, it's just kind of this mindset thing, but you have a solution. You have kind of a, a thought around this. Uh, so let me ask you two questions. One, do you think the interview, the, the, the world of someone working for the same company their whole life is over and what should businesses do about it? So that's an awesome opening question, and thank you. And, and there's a, a line I heard recently on a podcast, and the name eludes me as well, and I wish I could give credit. And she said, my grandfather had one job for life. My father had three jobs for life. Uh, I have three jobs right now. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I may have butchered the quote a little bit, but the concept being exactly what you say, which is uh, the reality is people are more mobile. People are willing to move more. People don't feel the need to stay with a company for life. And as more opportunities in the market exist, there's actually a, a performance and a value to moving elsewhere, to getting some diversity of opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, we have one customer that when you leave, uh, they joke, they say, good luck with your offsite training. See you back here in a few years. And I think that's a really good way of thinking about it. The greatest that's thing the a company mentality. can do. Yeah. yeah. And I think that mentality is the new mentality. Ooh, I love that. I love that. Actually, you know, I, I run a small business. My, my, my family started or my, my company started with my wife and my mother. And over the years I have added my father for a little while, both of uh, my, my, my two sisters and a brother as they went through that, like, you know, late high school through college and, and graduate school phases. Right. And, uh, uh, when they got out, I, I had to kick them out. You know, it's like, it's sad to see you go, but you had a great run with me. Now go learn how to do what we do better at my competitors, please. Well, I'll summon you back in a few years. We'll, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll figure this out, but you got to go, you got to go spread your wings. I, and just like you would want your family to uh, not always rely on the one company, you would want your employees to, to grow and learn and, and then steal them back. Very cool. 
Well, James, not everybody uh, really grows up thinking they want to be in the HR world. It's not something that I have a, I have a three-month-old daughter. I doubt she's going to dress up at Halloween as an HR consultant. Probably <laughs> not a high uh, uh, costume order. How did you wind up in this field? And, and what's your kind of story to get you where you are now? So exactly the same of, oh, how did I end up in the HR space? You know, whether or not you want to call TA recruitment, you know, some people get a little bit offended when you bow that under the HR category, but but that's not my choice. Um, I was always in large enterprise innovation with this concept of as large customers are moving from kind of the on-premise to the cloud, they're going to have to bring with them a lot of the processes that they've spent millions of dollars kind of creating and are stuck together with, you know, bubblegum and string. And as we were going through that process in all of my previous employers, the conversation was any idea you have, you can bring to market at least as a minimum viable idea in under 90 days. There is no problem so complex in your organization that software can't enable within that process. And so mm. when I was with SAP doing uh, the large enterprise innovation, going into companies, showing them how they could innovate in an agile and rapid manner, how everything didn't have to be a massive process and you can start with 80% of the idea. One of the conversations that we were having within the, the HR space was around how you leave the organization. And openly, I didn't really think much of it. Um, and the more we looked at the space, the more we looked at the market, we realized there was a massive gap. And when people are talking about their biggest obstacles and challenges right now is finding the right candidate, that they're going to have to create the, uh, the candidates instead of finding them, that, you know, they need to, you know, cast a wider net or talent shortages. We realized very, very quickly that actually your former employees is the greatest talent pool you could possibly find. Um, and and as we started investigating, we realized there's a massive white space there. And about three, three and a half years ago, uh, we came to market with the Enterprise Alumni Solution. I uh, I think that's that, that shows you how you got into HR, and that's awesome. Uh, I want to go back to, I've scoped out your LinkedIn profile, and this may be a little inside baseball, but am I, am I reading this right? In 1999, you worked with Bleem. Oh my God. Yeah. Do you know that uh, software emulator? Dude, best I had it. I em- emulator it on my PlayStation. For my PlayStation <laughs> 1, man, I built it out on the PC. I can't believe it. Uh, meeting one of my heroes. So, uh, so I'm not, I was just, I was just one of, uh, I think it was 12, 10, uh, for, you know, Randy, uh, and David, if you know, those names, uh, true geniuses ahead of the curve and probably the best learning experience I have ever had in my life. Um, because we came to market with something and Sony, uh, you know, filed suit in every single direction and Bleem won every one of them. Uh, yet they owed their lawyer, you know, 120% of the company type of thing. Right, was, right, right, right. It, it was an incredible, incredible journey. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. Well, for those of you who don't know, Bleem uh, was a, a emulator software that lets you play PlayStation games effectively on your computer back in the late 90s, early 2000s. It made a- wow, what a blast from the past. Yeah, sorry, man. When I saw that, I thought, oh, no, really? That's so cool. From there, you went on to companies that made money, Boeing, you, 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 and you worked mainly in that software space, right? That's kind of your world. But in the last seven years, you've had your own company, Enterprise Alumni, right? Yeah, and it was always focused on 
uh, at the beginning was focused on custom development. You know, you're moving from on-prem SAP to success factors in the cloud or workday in the cloud, and you're just having a cloud migration. And every one of these big customers that wants to move to the cloud has to bring some of its crap with it, some of their processes. And, uh, you know, crap might be an actual uh, compliment, uh, mm -hmm. to be honest, for many, many companies. I'm sure we've all been there. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, made big news a couple, I don't know how long ago this was, maybe three years. FedEx, we're in, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. FedEx is the largest employer in the city. They made the transition from their ancient, you know, green screen, DOS-based stuff that they've been <laughs> using forever to Workday. Um, and the, I mean, of course, it's like a two-year journey to make that happen. And on the rollout day, the, the, it was all great except one major issue when they had imported all this data and when it came time to figuring out what uh, performance evaluations, basically your raises, the history of crap that they had collected <laughs> literally meant that to bring up an employee profile would take like five to eight minutes. It just was crushing everything because it was none of it. It was all associated with other servers and like pulling back data. Uh, that process of managing a true migration is a heck of a thing. And so that's what you guys did, only maybe not around uh, that well, we did. We, yeah. we did it within that HR space around any of the big problems. And actually, one of the big topics was always, why is this an HR problem? Um, you know, just <laughs> this is a company problem because if it doesn't work, everyone else gets impacted. And right. I always had this view uh, that I think a lot of people within, again, the HR using those words very broadly of, mm -hmm. you know, where is their seat at the table? And so we would find very often the conversation was a CFO level, a CIO level, because this is, this is digital transformation 101. And if you can't work out how to pay your people, if you can't meet your compliance or in your example, your performance history, ultimately the business gets impacted. And so kind of HR is just part of the supply chain to running the business. And so we, we work with some amazing companies rapidly deploying these, uh, you know, these software tools or these agile ideas where they would come in and say, look, we want to try and do this. What's the best way we could do it? Um, and we would show them and 90 days later, it'd be live with version one or, or sometimes sooner, sometimes 30 days. And when companies realize that they can actually embrace speed and the cloud gives them that agility, uh, you start to see companies really rethink what's possible and remove kind of all of those shackles to their creativity or to their moving forward. I mean, I remember talking to one Fortune 500 company and saying the best thing you could do in HR is have a technology SWAT team, a group of engineers, designers that can actually prototype your ideas and try it and play with it and test it. Uh, and that was something I was really pushing that, that HR has to take an engineering lead of doing what they want. They can't just outsource it to IT uh, or to a different team. I called. I actually, in our people processes, in our internally, we we called them HR engineers for for two or three years. No one knew what the hell we were talking about. They were like, "What are you even?" I'm like, "Come on, man! It's a system. It's a process. You need you right. need diagnostics. You need root cause analysis. It's right. an engineering problem." Uh, but yeah, it's it's a hard thing to catch on. Well, now you're you're. I mean, you're working with giant companies. You're you're you've created this amazing platform that I'm really interested in discussing. Why? People need something like this, whether it's your software or some other world. But first, I don't think, you know, there's a lot of people listening to this. Some people are uh, currently a entry-level or mid-level HR person. Some are running a five-man shop, uh, and they're going to want to know why is this even relevant. But the first thing I always ask my guests that's really important is to tell us about the hardest, the worst 
part of your entrepreneurial journey. You've been running this company for seven years, and I'm hoping you can take me to the time, the scenario that really hurt you the most, that, that was really bad. And the, and, I, and I'm not doing this just because we, we like to hear you. You, know, <laughs> you want to hear me cringe. But, cringe, tell me your worst. <laughs> but by, by doing this, I think it puts into perspective that even people at the top of their game had some hard times. And uh, I, I'd like you to, if you can, take me there and tell me about it. So I think that's actually a really fair question, a good point of reflection. I think there's there's two answers. So the first would be today, and today meaning we're in the middle of a pandemic. What's this going to mean for our growth? What's this going to mean for our team? What's this going to mean for our product roadmap? Where instead of focusing on you know all these cool features we want to build, we need to focus on serving our customers who have been impacted. Um, what's this going to mean for all the deals coming in the pipeline? Um, so I think this has been a, a great test of uh, company-wide resilience, and also a test of the culture you've created. So right. really what we are finding is we have created a family-like culture. We have treated our people well. We have um, created a great place to work. So when we had to talk about this very openly, that this might happen, you know, we have airlines as customers, we have hotel chains as customers. Um, there is a chance that we're going to have a dramatic pause of some of those customers. But we took a, a different model where we kind of got together as a team, as a company, and talked about the fact that actually we were going to be the first. We were going to go to every customer that we knew was impacted and tell them, hey, we'll deal with everything for you. Number one, forget about billing, forget about everything. We will take care of everything. You focus on your business, you focus on you, and we will take on all the burdens. Uh, and then let's chat in six months. And almost every one of our customers was like, oh my God, that's literally what I wanted to hear you say. Amazing. <laughs> Can't wait to speak to you in September. And, and I think that was a, a big challenge for us because as a company, we, we essentially had to change our business model slightly, which is we are you know now doubling down on focusing and making sure our current customers are doing okay as businesses. They've been there for us. They've been amazing customers for us. They've advocated for us. And we had to, as a small business, say, what can we do for them? So I'd say right now is probably a, a fair challenge. Um, and I think it's day to day because there's also no end date. I can't turn right. around to anyone with a date certain of this is when we're going to start rehiring more people, or this is when we're going to start expanding all of these ideas that we might've had at the end of last year in terms of our 2020 plan. I think the, the, the second and more honest, scalable uh, challenge is always around when to scale, when to hire. Uh, how many customers do you take someone who has a family, who has a great job at a great company that has great benefits and say, hey, you know, give it all up and come here because we think we're onto something. And that was always a very big challenge for me of how many customers is, is it when we have a real company? You know, there's a, I think there's a phrase I sometimes I've heard. I think I reused it somewhere that, you know, a couple of customers is just friends in high places. A couple more customers is luck. You know, 10 customers means a hundred might be inevitable. And so right. that was our biggest challenge is when to scale, uh, you know, when to fundraise appropriately, when we felt that this was, this was definitely a market proven piece of software. And this wasn't just, we got lucky with a couple of customers. Um, and that first year and a half um, was very, very challenging because I wasn't prepared to, to scale early. And I think it's a big mistake that the companies make is bringing on people before they've got market acceptance and before they've got the proof points uh, and, you know, differentiating between luck and what I would call unaffiliated customers. Can you show me 10 customers that all came in all unaffiliated to each other? Um, right. And so I think that was probably one of the, the most uh, 
the bigger test for us is when to scale and how to do that appropriately and how to be very, very fair to the people we're asking to come work for us and give them the security. So they're taking a risk, but a well-mitigated risk. And out in LA, right? Is that where you're located? Is, is, yeah. Is, and is that where your works, your, your workers are located as well? Yeah, we have a head office here. We have another one in London and we have some, uh, some remote workers as well. Um, you know, but it, it's, I think as you mature that conversation of, um, of how other people are thinking, you know, when you have a family, when you have these things that you have to really think about what that means from a risk perspective. And I think that was a, a great challenge for us. And we came out and I think we made the right decision. Would I have loved to scaled earlier and had more people earlier? Of course. Um, but I think we did it at the right time. Nice. Nice. So, um, uncertainty in general is always a hard thing. And, and this of course has a huge financial impact for a lot of companies including ours, we're, we were down 35% uh, in revenue in April. Uh, so it was a major reset for us. Um, similar to you, clients in the uh, restaurant, hospitality, travel industries that you know went nearly to zero. And then when your law firms are laying off 30% of staff too, it's never a good sign. So um, so that's, it's been a, it's been a heck of a time. Um, and I think you nailed it on the head though, that it's a, uh, a test that if you, if you've, if you've prepared for it, both of course, financially, you need a runway, uh, but also culturally and with employee training, loyalty, those kind of things, uh, you can survive this and, and a lot of your competitors won't. So, uh, for those businesses who are in, um, who are, who are able to work through this, come out on the other side with more loyal employees who, um, and, 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 and well-capitalized and able to rock, you're going to be in the catbird seat, going to have a, 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 when this turns around, you're going to be in great shape. I totally agree. This concept of actually being there for someone is more than sending them a, a Qualtrics survey asking how they're feeling. Um, <laughs> right. I think that's something that we're all learning a little bit kind of, you know, we're all, we're all flying the plane as the runway's being built type of thing. Um, but there's some great best practices out there. There's some great industry leaders out there. Uh, but for us, it's just being very, very transparent. Um, and we found that by doing that, you set the right expectations with everyone. Everyone knows exactly where they stand and everyone comes together for the benefit of our customers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so now uh, that we've covered that and we know uh, everybody faces challenges, I wanted to ask, you know, my understanding is where your software and company now works is is around this idea of the offboarding system, right? Not just getting them out of the company, but also once they're out of the company, remaining in contact. So, give me a let's say that let's let's every every Fortune five thousand company out there knows that offboarding is probably the most important uh, people processes. In fact, in my books, chapter four. Uh, offboarding, literally, I think second paragraph is this is the most important people processes, um, and the reason is, of course, is because this is where you can learn the most. It's where the most data is. It's where you can improve your other processes. But I, in my book, I stopped at that. I said this is how you improve the other places. But you take it a step further. You think of this as a uh, a labor pool, a marketing force. I mean, there's so much to it. So if this is if there's a ten man business owner listening right now. Can you walk through why your ex-employees are important and what maybe you should be thinking about in the terms of this as a resource? Yeah, and I think 
it doesn't matter whether you're a small business or a Fortune 10 company. The concept being uh, you spend a lot of money recruiting people, finding people. You spend even more money retaining them, training them, teaching them about your business, introducing them to your customers. And then when they leave, it's cupcakes and high fives. And the reality is cupcakes and high fives is no longer an acceptable way to, to, to offboard someone. Instead, you must maintain a relationship because you've invested so much money in that person. And, and whether that is for recruiting or referrals, uh, you know, if you think about going out there, we talk about stranger recruiting versus known person recruiting. Hiring a stranger is going out on the internet, posting a job, getting all these applications in, having to weed through them and having to use a level of potentially bias or whatever it might be to identify who might be a good fit. Uh, all of our customers find that when you hire someone who's worked with you prior or refers someone, um, that the fit is just is greater and they stay longer. The time to productivity is quicker. The time to uh, value is quicker. So all the big numbers associated with recruiting are, are really exponentially increased when you focus on these people that have left. And I think you and I talked briefly before the call that someone leaves, they go out there, they get new skills, a new market, new contacts, new companies, new experience. Now is a great time to bring them back and have that diversity of opinion back in your organization. But we see customers really using it for those recruiting referrals, but also for business development, for partnership, for marketing, for thought leadership. The key being is you have an army of advocates out there. And if they leave in a good way and a positive way, um, you have people out there that will always be supporting your business success. Interesting. So <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scale it back a bit because... What you're saying is true, and and I think uh, for those of us who've been in HR quite a while, it's it's an obvious truth. But for a lot of small businesses, this is revolutionary. Um, I, I in my experience, a couple hundred companies across the U.S. Most of them, their thought of offboarding is, I don't want them to sue me, and I don't want to pay them a lot of crap if they're leaving me. That seems to be the two primary thoughts. Either I got to let them go and then it's all about terminations and, you know, uh, right. uh, that kind of thing. But if they're leaving to go work at my competitor or even another industry because they can't cut it here, um, it's it's very rarely any positive thought. Or, or you said cupcakes and high fives, maybe for a retiree. <laughs> but right. I think a lot of times it's almost a... a especially in small business, it's almost shameful. It's like you're giving up on this family and team. So what should be the mentality? You've talked about some of these advantages, but but how can a small business owner shift from uh, this guy's leaving the team because I can't pay him as much or because he doesn't, he feels like we're not organized enough or there's too much chaos here or whatever it is. How, how can they change that mindset uh, to this being a potentially positive thing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have historically had this kind of you're leaving, you're a traitor um, mm -hmm. approach to, to it. Exactly. And Good to say that in four, four words when I took a minute to say. Exactly. You're leaving, you're a traitor. Yeah, you're a traitor. How could you do this to us? We gave you everything. You know, we took you out of college, whatever it might be. But the reality is when you're leaving, doesn't matter if it's a 10-person team or a, you know, a 200,000-person team, the person to your left and right uh, you don't have traitor complex with the people you worked with on a day-to-day -day basis. Maybe, maybe your manager, you might have a view of, hey, you know, he or she didn't give me the opportunity I wanted, or I should have the role that he or she has. Uh, mm -hmm. So you may have, you may have very specific views, but in reality, most people leave because they just get a better opportunity. The grass is greener. And when I leave, I'm not leaving cursing the company. 
I may well again be cursing an individual. I may not have liked my manager. I may not have liked someone, but I like my coworkers. I like the environment. I like the benefits. I worked here for a few years. I must have liked something. Um, mm. And so I think people try and barrel this kind of traitor complex with everything. But it's not true. I left because I found a better opportunity. Uh, but I found that better opportunity because of what I learned here because of the experience I got here, because of the training I got here, because of the colleagues I got here. Uh, and I think that's the way that a lot more companies are starting to think about it. We have one bank uh, that calls a certain type of hire their unicorn hire, which is someone that leaves their risk division and goes to a competitor, a very specific one of three competitors, learns their risk department and then comes back. And to them, that is the most valuable hire they can have because it means you can only get that experience if you did work at the company and then you went to one of these three companies and then you came back. And so the reality is leaving is just inevitable. And the quicker we understand that and the quicker we recognize that and the less we think about it from a trader complex and instead with, look, we're sorry to see you go. We're sorry we couldn't afford you the opportunity that you got for whatever reason. However, the door is never closed. And I think we can approach that with every you know, interaction we have in life, whether it's you're selling software and someone says no, it's no for now, perhaps not no for always. And I think, I think that's how we see a lot of companies starting to think about it, which is take a really good example of when people left six, seven years ago, a regrettable loss was someone perhaps with people soft experience. Oh my God, I can't believe that she's leaving. She has all this experience and now they're on work day. And they don't care about that person. There was the regrettable mm. loss X years ago with people. But maybe she's now got workday skills. Maybe she spent the last six years actually at a workday implementation company. And so she knows the company, the processes, all the people soft crap that may have existed. She might be a perfect person to return to this company. So I think less about traitor complex and more about opportunity. Um, of someone being out there that says, look, I didn't maybe get the opportunity I wanted, but I have no hard feelings because I got a better job. So I'm not going to sit here and rant. I'm not, I don't have spite. Uh, and I think that's how a lot of organizations are thinking about it. I like that. If you could advise, um, we're gonna, we're, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you in just a minute. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about it. Uh, if a company wasn't an enterprise level company or even just a hundred man company or something like that, um, we're going to come in just a second to, what are some things they could put into their offboarding process now that could help them utilize these people? But first, can we talk about how do you set that expectation earlier? So going back to onboarding or performance evaluation or even you know team meetings, <sighs> leaving the company from the moment you recruit someone to the moment they do leave, in most companies is never discussed, right? Right. Except that in 40 years, we give you a, you know, you get a gold watch. <laughs> like, it's right. like, I mean, it's like the expectation from beginning is you're going to work here till you die. Uh, or, you know, and it's, and it's a false expectation in today's economy. Um, but it's what a lot of people push for. Uh, and, it's, and I'll tell you, when I started my company, every person I hired, I thought this guy is going to be with me. This gal is going to be with me. He's a lifer. Every one of them. Turns out I was wrong. I I, I miss I, I was 22 and didn't realize that you know it was a different it was a different world. Um, but what could you recommend as some maybe some specific thoughts? It can be broad mentality or even specific actions that could be taken early in the process before someone leaves to set up offboarding for success. 
So I think there's a, that's a there's a lot of big answers there. I think the number one for any company is making sure you collect the external email address during your onboarding uh, out of the ATS, essentially. So when they leave, you have their Gmail email address. Uh, many systems of record will only maintain their actual company email address. And when they've left, you, you don't have the original record from the original ATS of how they applied and what email they used. So we always tell customers, just make sure you're collecting an email address during onboarding that's you know that's stored somewhere in your source of truth so that you have that i think the second thing is for many companies their alumni network is part of talent retention you know you are you're in a, you're, you're part of a relationship for life whatever that might mean and to what extent that might mean is different for every company but really setting that out before they join and we see a lot of companies using or leveraging their alumni network to show new recruits this is what it means to be part of our family this is what it means to be to be part of the ecosystem. And it doesn't matter whether you're small or large, recognizing that community is really valuable. In fact, the smaller you are, the more valuable it is. If you think about the fact that you as a small organization probably post on LinkedIn, wouldn't it be amazing if all of the people that used to work for you still love you and press like or press share or talked about it or add a comment that said, hey, great to see you're doing well or great thought leadership. So there's so many ways to leverage these people that have left and maintain a relationship. Um, but I think it starts with, with before they even join, thinking about what does that exit look like? And I think one of the key challenges for a lot of organizations is how do you know if someone's exit went terribly? Because you yeah, know, what is the goal? six months yeah. later, you know, how yeah, do you what, know that, that it wasn't there? I'm sorry. Go so, ahead. so what is the goal? What, what is the, I mean, let's assume it's a voluntary, you know, they've left, you, did, you didn't, you know, kick them to the curb because they were stealing files or something, you know, but mm-hmm. what is a, what is the, a win look like for a person who left because the grass is greener somewhere else? A win. Not for the employee, but for the company. You're losing that guy. That's a loss. <laughs> it's it's bad. Just like if you lost a client, they left because they went somewhere else. You, you, you had something wrong. I believe that. And I believe you can learn something there for retention. But if they're going, they're going. How do you turn that into a win? What does it look like? With the person that leaving saying, wow, that was an awesome leaving process. And they should hopefully not use those words because it shouldn't be thought of as a leaving <laughs> process, but essentially truly good luck. We genuinely mean it. You know, what can we do to help you? What can we do to empower you? Uh, stay in touch and we wish you the best of luck. We have one customer that when some executives leave, they actually send something to them at their new job, you know, a week or two in, Hey, we hope you're settling in. Well, we miss you over here, but we're wishing you the best of luck over there. And, and just recognizing it's the normal. That's just a fact. And the more companies just recognize leaving is inevitable, and the more you treat it as inevitable, the less of a, a thing it becomes. Good luck. See what happens. I mean, we have uh, an ex-employee of ours who just referred us an amazing candidate. He pinged me an email and said, I just ran into this guy. He has got the skill set that I know you need in your organization. He's looking around. You should contact him. And to me, that was the reflection of a great exit process. That, that that would even still be in the realm that he would think about us, you know, a year later when he met someone. Um, and, and I think that's what companies have to really go for, because if you can get referral is as valuable as bringing someone back under a boomerang hire. You know, again, you and I spoke uh, before about the numbers. I, we just had EY and City on a, on a webinar talking about their kind of alumni program. And they talk about the fact that 17 percent and 12 percent respectively of their organization is made up of returners. That is an incredibly large number. And when you apply 17% some... of EY uh, is, of, of all the people who work there, are people who worked for them, left, and came back. Yep. And 12% of City. And Dang. 
And they gave numbers, which is we believe that when we hire a, an executive back, we believe there's a saving of roughly $75,000 per person because oh, yeah. not only of the time to value, the time to fill, but the suitability for the role. You know, are they still there a year later? Are they in a performance improvement plan? Do they stay longer? And the data is yes, they stay two years longer when they return. And so when you start to look at that math, the, the data for why you have to have a program is, is overwhelmingly in favor of it. Interesting. So the so if you think about a and, and I often re, re, uh, relate HR processes back to sales or operations because many small business owners out there they understand that they have to have marketing they understand they have to have a sale they understand that when they bring a client on they should have a process to onboard that client that isn't a stack of blank papers, you know, in black and white on a crappy photocopy. It's like, <laughs> welcome. We spent $60,000 getting you as a client. Here's your shit. Like that's right. not the way to do it. Right. But with an employee, a lot of times they have to wrap their head around that. Now that you got them, now's when the, now's when the delivery happens. So the win from an offboarding process um, in my book, I wrote it as the offboarding process is your chance to learn where you went wrong in your other people processes. Is your compensation analysis wrong? Is your benefits package wrong? Is your performance management wrong? Is your management structure wrong? What about your onboarding? Just like with a client, did you overpromise and underdeliver? Did you uh, t- did you take them for granted after a few years? What were the places that you made mistakes, and then? You can go back into your people processes and actually create a recurring process to address that issue. It is Do the people most want to know the answer. Oh, I, I I think once they realize that this is the this is the test. Just like if you if you brought on a client and they left you because five years later there's a place that's doing it better and cheaper than you are. You it's not whether you want to know it. It's it's going to suck to learn it but you have to know it. Your people are the exact same. You're going to invest a ton of time and money into finding them, recruiting them, training them, keeping them. And when they leave, it's a, it's an L, it's a lose. Now they're inevitable. Just like if you keep every single client forever, you probably are doing something wrong too. You're probably over, um, you're probably too flexible. You're probably changing your business to suit theirs too much. Maybe the case with employees too, but you need to know why. But you're adding an additional layer. At offboarding, not only can you learn a ton, you can also turn this into an ambassador to a degree. This is someone who may return to your company with more skills. That's option one. They may refer someone to your company who they already know the inside of your company. They're going to be better than any recruiter you could ever hire. If they give you somebody that... They know they know the crap that goes on, and they know that this person can handle it. And uh, outside of even those two, they may be people who could potentially refer you clients if you can maintain that relationship. The I think I might be attributing the quote. My third quote that I'm attributing to the wrong place is. Uh, <laughs> I think it might be Starbucks CHRO, where he said, everyone is a customer first. You're a customer, then a recruit, a customer, then an employee, a customer, then an alumni. And if we aren't treating everybody at every single stage of the process like a customer, then we can't be surprised that they're not a customer anymore. 
And, mm-hmm. and his belief was that applies internally more than externally. You've got to run the same kind of B2C programming on all of your people processes and treat them in the same way you treat a customer. It would be unacceptable for a customer to not understand where to, I mean, if we use your book about onboarding that, you know, Tamara doesn't know where to file for her sick, sick leave or something like that. That's unacceptable. And if you did that to a customer, they would leave you. And I think there's that same process that we see more and more. I have a really good anecdote about kind of the offboarding and learning, which is, well, aside from the fact you can't, you know, measure what you don't track. We have one customer that about six, eight months after you leave, will send you a survey and say, what tools are you using now that you (laughs) wish you had in our organization? But our IT team was too, I'm trying to think of the correct verbiage here, um, too challenging to work with that you couldn't. And the overwhelming response from people was not Skype, not Skype. Anything but Skype. Anything, Anything but, but Skype. Skype. <laughs> and, but that's how the answers came in. And they came in so honestly, exactly as you said. And, and what it led to is them realizing that actually their, their IT team, and I don't want to generalize, that's not a fair statement. There were sure. so many restrictions and controls that employees were having anxiety about joining a Skype call because it wouldn't always work. You had to be on the VPN facing the sun, you know, between 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. Like it was just ridiculous. And because of that, they were able to show data that said, we have to change something. And they did. They ended up going, I think, with Cisco WebEx or something similar. Sure. But that was data that no one internally, well, everyone internally knew, but no one made public. Public. So exactly. it wasn't like a secret. Everyone hated it, but now they made it public. And I think that's exactly your example as if you don't ask, you don't find out, but now they found out now it's going to make our current employees happier, essentially just a bit happier, but everything you can do to make someone happier is a win. I love it. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, you say email your, your ex-employee six months later, I'd say probably 50% of my clients couldn't find them. Like you mentioned, don't have a personal email address. Uh, or if they emailed an ex-employee six months later, the likelihood of response, the response rate would be in the single digits, right? Yeah. But you're saying, no, by investing in this alumni kind of network, thinking of it as a, as a permanent member of the family who's gone somewhere else for now, uh, because they're better suited over there or for whatever reason, um, is, means that you get that data back. Yeah, by starting on day one. By, by making alumni in this post-employment experience part of your culture means it's not a surprise when they get an email six months later right. because well, and another, they know yeah. that. Well, and, and another thing, you know, we, we often talk about the differences between small, large enterprise level companies, but here's the truth. And it's a hard truth for small businesses to swallow. You're going to lose more people than big business as a percentage because you don't have the scope of an organization that can meet as many employment needs. Right. You have a benefits program and it's probably awesome, but it's based in one state. It has travel benefits when you go elsewhere. But if someone moves, they've got to move for their spouse's job or their parents' illness. Right. You may lose them, period. They don't have another store location in that other state. Right. It's that's not a fault of your 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 processes. It is what it is, and a larger company wouldn't have that same issue. So, thinking having this mentality from the beginning in a small company is likely to be even more useful um, than than a large one. I think that's very interesting. 
So, and you just okay. don't have enough requisitions. You do, I don't have enough right. upward mobility in this organization to give everything, everybody what they want. I just don't have it. It doesn't matter how much I, I love them and I want to give it to them. You know, I cannot compete with the open market where there's just more opportunity. And the reality is if someone has been here a few years, I can't really fault them if they get a much more senior job elsewhere. What I can say is, you know what? That's amazing. Congratulations. I, I you know, you're right. I can't compete. And, exactly. and that's really how we view it over here, which is I want you to take that role. Are you kidding me? I mean, one of the questions we ask when we recruit people is what is the next job you think you're going to take in three years? What is the job that you want to be able to go for? And then it's my responsibility to try and make sure we have that job available for you. But if we don't, at least I know what's coming. So it gives me right. the power. And I think you're absolutely right. Small businesses, much more than large businesses as a percentage. Right. Well, and you think, you know, look, if you've got a 20-man company, maybe you have three management positions, maybe four or five if you're kind of top-heavy. Right. Um, and if you're recruiting well and you're building well, I mean, unless your company is, even if your company is growing outstandingly, 50% a year, um, you're just not going to have enough space sometimes for right. those high achievers. So rather than try and keep them down, rather than try and have this uh, head stuck in the sand, oh, they never leave. No, they can go work at Microsoft and make twice as much. You taught them that. Yeah. Uh, and it's sad that you don't have a senior vice president position over a quarter of the company, but it's just you and two managers right now. So I can't tell you the shock that some people have when I ask them that question of, hey, in three years, you know, so we just hired someone recently. Uh, you know, and the question was, hey, have you ever had headcount? Have you ever had that? No, no. Is that something you want? And she was like, you know what? I think I would in two years, three years. I think I'd like to have a team under me. So now I know exactly what I've got to do. I'm either going to be able to satisfy her requirements or not. But either way, we understand each other. We understand why and when she might leave. And I think people don't talk about that enough. I want to talk about the exit process because the exit doesn't always mean leaving us. It's the exit from this role to the next role. Right. Whether it's with us or not doesn't really matter because there's not much I can do if I don't have that role available. And from a mentality perspective, uh, a lot of medium and small businesses, the thought that your employees are going to be there forever is an excuse for not developing uh, backups, mm -hmm. lack of siloing, training. You, you have to realize that even if someone's been with you for 10 years, um, they could leave. Right. And you as a business owner or as the director of talent or whatever your position is in your, your nonprofit or your for-profit, you have to realize that these people can leave and there may be occasions where it's much better for them to leave at no fault of your own. Right. And so spend the time to make sure that if they do, they leave on good terms, they give you enough of a runway and try to shorten that runway that you can bring someone else in and get them up to speed quickly. I think a lot of people small businesses in particular, they they just pretend like no one's ever going to leave so that they don't have to think about how they would replace that person. Head in the sand and, has yeah. never been a strategy that has ever worked for anybody ever. Right, right. So, all right. So here you are listening. You're a, you're a 10-man tire shop. You're a 20-man nonprofit. And you're thinking, holy crap, um, this is great. I, I, I wish I knew this two years ago, but I didn't. Now I do. We got James, the expert, with us. For these small or medium-sized companies, uh, I don't know if, and we'll talk right after this about your specific software and where it could fit in, but if they don't have an enterprise-level solution, they're not looking to build something out, what are three to five things that they can do with a Google Sheet, a spreadsheet, a, uh, a checklist, 
a, a simple process that they could do to really implement some of this in the next, over the weekend. They're going to think hard about it, get it all written out and do something. What would be the recurring I, steps? I think there are three immediate things you could do. Number one, either a Facebook or a LinkedIn group. There's no reason not to have one or the other. And it depends on your company style. Some companies like, ooh, I'm not friends with anyone on Facebook. That would be an inappropriate place. That's meant for personal mm -hmm. life. Other customers, they're friends with everyone for small businesses. And a Facebook group is the perfect place to be. Um, whereas others will say a small LinkedIn group. There's no reason not to say, hey, before you leave, let me just invite you into our little LinkedIn group so we can just all stay together as a family. The second thing is thinking about what it means when someone is leaving. Not only as you said around the knowledge you can gain, which is to ask why, what perhaps you could do different, and maybe there's nothing, but to be very human about that and to think about how are you going to actually have a cadence that maybe two months after they leave, by default, you always follow up. You always send them an email or an in-mail or something that just says, I hope you're doing amazing. And I hope it's everything you wanted. And if there's anything we can do for you, always feel free to reach out. Just a simple cadence program to that, a reminder in your outlook to ping Frank an email and to wish him, uh, you know, good luck or to remember a memorable event. Some companies might do it around a birthday. Just remember, doesn't matter if they've left you, there is no harm in wishing your colleague a happy birthday that left you. Just a good excuse to reach out. You're asking for absolutely nothing. And the third is to think how that's gonna represent well for your current employees, to show them what this relationship means and to show them that you're there for them. So, so I think LinkedIn or Facebook group, some sort of cadence of messaging to be able to reach out, whether it's good luck, best of luck, hope you're doing well, happy birthday. And the third is how you can include internal employees in that conversation as well. Many small organizations will allow current employees into that LinkedIn or Facebook group as well, because why not? You used to work with these people and you can't really build a relationship between the company and your alumni if they're not both in the same place. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, I think that's, that's, that's an excellent start and, and very simple. Uh, the Facebook or LinkedIn group, you covered that well. Um, including internal employees in a small business makes a lot of sense. Um, the, especially, do, so would you recommend separate, like an alumni group and a current employee group and then have... I'd say everybody join both, both by default kind of thing. I'd say one big group. Uh, you call it an alumni group, but it's for current and former colleagues. Uh, and that way, if someone leaves, they're already in the group. Now you don't have like to go it. after them and be like, hey, <laughs> you left. Don't forget to join the group. Nope, they're already in it. So we see a lot of organizations actually letting their employees join the alumni program on the day they join. And you've got to think is when is the best time to ask someone to join a group? Is it when they're leaving and they're throwing their, you know, Lenovo laptop out the window and their, <laughs> their, work, their work phone is being sent back? Or is it when they join, when they're more willing to do everything you ask them to do? And so the best time to really onboard people into the offboarding process is when they started the organization. I love it. On your cadence, uh, which is a recurring process where you do specific events at some specific period, you mentioned good lucks, memorable, uh, memorable events, uh, birthdays. What would you say if they if they were going to make a a, um, a five event cadence? Um, how long? I mean, it obviously, it varies in every company, but. What would be some of the, outside of just general happy birthdays, maybe an anniversary and a two-month follow-up, uh, that would just be, I hope you're doing well. Is there anything they could add or should add that would be immediately beneficial, like a, a, a recruiting request or referral request or anything like that? And when do you think that should be? 
So this question of when can you ask for something um, mm -hmm. is, a, is a common, you know, what's in it for me as a company? I'm investing this time, I'm doing this cadence, I do this LinkedIn group, I do all of this. When am I going to start to see the fruits of this labor? The reality is it starts with first saying, what can I do for you? And each company is going to be slightly different, but maybe you do have an open position of which you know that Lisa actually is really active in that community. And there's actually no harm of popping it in and sending an email or an email to Lisa and be like, hey, we have this open position. You wouldn't happen to know anyone that would be a good fit for it, would you? Um, it's just about being human. And I think that's what people sometimes forget about cadence. You know, when, cadence is a repeatable process, but it doesn't mean it, it can lack, has to lack empathy or, or human element. Sometimes it might not be you as the owner who's sending that, we wish you the best of luck. Maybe you're gonna ask their direct manager to be in charge of that and, mm -hmm. and part of that cadence process because that was the person they had the relationship with. Maybe it's a colleague. The key is it doesn't always have to be, you know, from the top of the organization. The key is just to maintain sure. some sort of a link somehow. And you ask the honest answer to when you ask for something is unfortunately when it's appropriate. And I know that's a horrible <laughs> answer and I apologize. No, no, it's good. No, no. Um, I like that. So if you so the reason I I, I pushed on the cadence a little bit is happy birthday, happy, happy anniversary. Those matter. Yes. But I'm not asking that. I, I, I liked how you said, focus on what can I do for you? So what I would like uh, our listeners or maybe James, you can weigh in on this one item on your cadence in that first year cadence. I want you to think about something you can offer the employee, the prior employee, you guys mentioned a gift basket two weeks into their new job. That's awesome. May not be something everyone can do or wants to do, but perhaps a, uh, for example, one, 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 one of my clients actually has a referral program at when someone leaves. Literally, they have a process behind when someone leaves on a voluntary basis with um, appropriate notice and, and on good terms, they actually have a structure on the owner of the company, and it's, it's it's not a huge company, but a couple hundred employees, the owner of the company and the manager write a joint letter of recommendation to give to the employee on oh, their next that. search, right? It's like, you know, I hope the place you left that, you know, most people don't leave till they already have a job, so it may not be super helpful, but they actually, upon termination, they say, I want you to keep this in your records, follow up with us. Um, when you leave, this is your letter of recommendation. Uh, says when you worked here, but more importantly, it says what we think about you and uh, gives them my phone number to call. Something like that is so, it's it's an immediate- Hugely powerful. And that's right. just being- You're not a trader. We love yeah. you. We, yeah. You know, so as part of your cadence, think about something you do, whether it's a letter of recommendation, whether it's a follow-up six months out to always, every six, you know, six months after someone leaves, invite them to lunch, invite them to- a coffee, a alumni anything. gathering, a coffee, hell, a, a, a Google meet or a, or a Zoom meeting or whatever to check in, see how things are going and don't do anything at that time. Don't recruit them back. Uh, don't, don't just just a true check in to see if there's anything else you can serve. I think there's something to that, do that once or twice. And it's going to bring up really important, which is if you set that before they leave, if people know before they leave that there's a referral program, even after you've left, if you refer a colleague. So if I know when I work at the company that when I leave, if I find a good candidate and I ship them in, that I can still be compensated somehow. You know, the key is not to do it all afterwards. 
The key is not six months later, hey, you know, do you have anyone for this role? And we'll give you a couple of hundred bucks if you refer someone. The key is to do it while they're still and make sure all of that knowledge and information is being given to them while they're still at the company. You know, but maybe right. you're not doing a gift basket, but maybe, maybe on their birthday, you send them a $20 Starbucks gift card and you send them via email. No one's going to, you know, everyone drinks coffee or of some yeah. sort. <laughs> and so just something which they may not redeem, they may not use, maybe they don't drink coffee, but just a little bit of an investment uh, of either time or dollars or something to say, we still care, we're still thinking about you, and we're not asking for anything because you already know. You already know if you refer someone, you get some money. You already know that if you refer business, you get X, Y, and Z. So I don't have to sell you on doing that once you've left because I sold you on it while you were working at the company. Right. Well, and that goes to any employee benefit, right? Right. There are so many companies that provide great benefits that the employees don't know about, right? right. They don't know about it till they need it, but you've spent money on it all that time. Get the right. goodwill from the beginning. <laughs> so right. if you're going to maintain a program like this, it doesn't have to be crazy expensive, but it, it's, it sounds to me like, you know, when I do employee benefits, uh, one of the things we do during our HR audits is a comprehensive review of their employee benefits. I almost want to structure this alumni program as a, I, well, I mean, I do. It's an employee benefit. True. Um, it's, it's a company benefit, but so is having happy and healthy workers. So, I mean, so is health insurance, right? It's an employee right. benefit, but also like you don't want your people to die. So that's right. a, you know, it goes both ways. An alumni program, I, I'm in the back of my head, I'm thinking, what if I told employers to budget, I don't know, $5 a month per employee that goes into an alumni account or something like that, uh, an alumni liability account for later, right. just to pull them back in. Your the little bit of cash isn't going to affect your cash flow, but it's going to make, it's going to give you a, a a budget to actually play with, to actually think about. I don't know. We're talking. We're we're past the the meat of this episode, guys. But these are some of the things that run through my head. But I think you are. I think you nailed it. Do something. Do yeah. something. And I think that's really where it really, really starts is what is the first step is to take a step. And I think yeah. that's what you kind of talked about is whether it's budgeting five dollars or whether it's just in mentally doing something. And yeah. I think and I think that's really where we start to see value is when companies say, what can we do for you and where do we start? And I think those three ideas that, we, that you and I jointly laid out of something, anything, start somewhere. I love it. James, now you run a company that focuses on this. You've been an outstanding gift. If, if you got or, uh, to, to this podcast, uh, I think you've laid some amazing value out. If you're listening right now, uh, I hope that you've, maybe you've got an outstanding alumni program in place right now. And this episode was just, a, ah, well, uh, what a waste of time. But I think the most of you listening probably pick something up that you can go back and make a, a tweak, an improvement, or start something new that's going to grow your business in the long run. 17% of a major, huge, of, of one of the big three accounting firms are Boomerang employees. If you're not doing that, you are way missing out. So that's an outstanding uh, thing to think about. But James, you run a software company that, that handles this uh, for clients, right? I mean, for, for companies all across the U.S., yeah, so we are thankfully uh, global enterprise alumni. We service uh, uh, global customers, medium to large customers, where essentially just part of that employee experience, much like you talked about in the book, you know, you have recruiting, you have retention, and then you have 
you know, the cupcakes and high five goodbye. We are essentially the cupcakes high five goodbye uh, being replaced by a software platform that allows people to stay in contact and maintain a relationship with their with their prior employees. And when they leave, as long as they're eligible, meaning, you know, you didn't have to forcibly remove them from the from the building, then they join this. And different companies offer different benefits, whether it's, you know, continued discount at the organization, whether it's sure. continuous education or learning, volunteering, mentoring, there is a, a relationship there that, that gets built over time. And that's what leads to these incredible numbers of our customers who are hiring and the referrals. I mean, you nailed it. A referral or someone affiliated to your organization is always going to have a bigger impact because they know the skeletons, they know the politics, they know you know, the crap underneath the floorboards, if I, if that's an appropriate yeah. or eloquent way yeah. of saying it. And therefore they also, you also get to remove that first awkward meeting. Um, you know, when you bring in a stranger, the first few weeks of sitting in a room and who's that person, who's this person, can I say anything? All of that disappears when you're returning because you know 90% of the people, you know the processes, so your impact is so much quicker. Um, and we do this, yeah, globally for some amazing organizations and, uh, and we see the data and as you talked about it's just it's a given companies that aren't doing this are now at a functional disadvantage absolutely so james we have listeners from five man shops up to 5000 man shops and probably larger in fact i know we have a couple of uh, very large listeners who is it that's listening right now uh, that that you would want if they go you know what this is something we really need to invest in i, I need to learn more from an expert like james where, what is their company like? What is the individual like? What's going through their head? And how should they contact you? So enterprisealumni.com has all the details you could possibly need, all the research, the reporting, the business case, all of that stuff to help you understand what it means. And it doesn't matter if you're a five-person shop or a 5,000 or a, or a 200,000. The same principles of be human apply. Uh, maybe the process is slightly different. Um, but of course, you know, connect with me on, on LinkedIn, James Sinclair. I'm always happy to talk to people about it as they start formulating their program. But but the expectation or the hope is that your listeners have said, huh, there's something interesting here that's worth at least exploring. And I think that's the biggest first step uh, that we want everyone to make is just explore what they're doing now, what could they do a little bit better, and what one change, I mean, you've talked about it again in your book, what one change could you make that could make the experience moderately better? Yeah, it'll it and that compound effect of of using it as a process of just thinking about it will will build over time. Yeah. So James, I want to be clear because I I I I value your time and 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 I want you to. I mean, you've given our listeners great value here. So if if I have a five man tire shop listening to this, should they reach out and go? I want to set up with with James's company. Uh, or do, or really is your business for larger companies out there? Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. If you are a five-man tire shop, just start your Facebook group and start it tomorrow. Uh, but <laughs> do come to Quantor website, join our mailing list. We have some really good data out there, really good ideas out there of which maybe one you're like, oh, that's a good idea. Whether it's the Starbucks idea that we had of <laughs> sending people a $20 Starbucks gift certificate on their birthday. That's an idea that works just as much for a five-person organization as it does for a 200,000 person. Uh, you know, we focus on companies where they have at least 500 alumni plus, where you really need a platform to be able to slice, dice, segment, and intelligently organize it. So when you start to think about scale, I need to find all people in California that have this competency, that are available, that work in this area, uh, 
that's when you start needing a platform because you need to essentially slice and dice or, or segment that data. Uh, under that number, you can probably manage with almost zero cost, you know, with your $5 a month idea mm -hmm. uh, on LinkedIn or, or Facebook. And then as your program progresses and you feel the need to want to do more or mature your program, then of course, we'd be delighted to speak to, to, to people. Perfect. So guys, go out there, go to uh, enterprisealumni.com, subscribe. There is going to be great information coming out, whether you're a uh, smaller company that's not ready to use their, their software itself, use their brains. So check them out. Uh, reach out to James on LinkedIn, connect. Uh, he's got great information on there as well. And James, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Rami, thank you so much. Uh, I love the book. I love your approach. I love your, your thoughts and strategies. So I think I learned as much from this conversation uh, as hopefully your listeners will as well. I can't wait. All right. Well, thank you, James. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you as well for turning, tuning in. Uh, having listeners and you reaching out to us with questions, LinkedIn, this has been a passion project for me since the beginning. It's morphed into something bigger, but uh, this is what I love doing, talking to great people uh, about their levels, of, their expertise, and sharing it with you. If you will reach out to us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, with any questions you have, any follow-ups, I'd love to hear it. Please don't forget to subscribe at peopleprocesses.com. We're going to have a uh, one-pager, maybe two-pager summary of those items you can do, make it, make it a nice checklist, give some basic references, and of course, get you information on how to look up uh, Mr. James and get in touch with his company. Now it is time for you to go out there, get your work done, and have a great day.